for the Stock Car Racing Time Machine podcast. I'm your host, Tim Naiman. Today, you're listening to episode 14, the 1997 running of the Goodies Headache Powder 500 from Martinsville, Virginia, the shortest track on the NASCAR Winston Cup circuit, measuring at 0.526 miles. Best known for its paperclip design with its very long straightaways and its concrete corners. The race would be run on April 20th, 1997. Coming into the race, the point standings were as followed. Dale Jarrett was the points leader. He had a comfortable 90-point lead on second place Terry Labonte. Jeff Gordon, coming off of his victory at Bristol, was third in points, 164 points back. Bobby Labonte was in the fourth position in points, 235 points back. And Jeff Burden was fifth in points, 285 points back. Martin, Rudd, Earnhardt, Elliott, and Rusty Wallace rounded out the top 10 in points. And under 100 points separated 10th from 4th from points. So it was entirely possible that there could be a lot of shifting in the points if a driver had a very good run at Martinsville and other drivers did not run as well. The big stories coming into the race weekend was, could Rusty Wallace do it again? He had won a remarkable four straight spring events at Martinsville and was looking to win for the fifth time in a row. Wallace had shown good strength on the short track so far in 1997. He had won at Richmond with a late race pass on Dale Jarrett. He looked like he was headed toward victory at Bristol until Jeff Gordon nudged him out of the way in turn three. So Wallace had to certainly be one of the contenders to win at Martinsville. Jeff Gordon was really improving his performance at Martinsville. So previously a track that Gordon tended to struggle at, he of course had won the fall race there in 1996 and was looking to be a serious contender, and his short track performance had been very good in 1997, running fourth at Richmond and picking up the win at Bristol. You also had to consider Terry Labonte a contender as well. The short tracks had always been very good to Terry Labonte, and he was coming off a strong third-place run at Bristol. What about Mark Martin? He had had one of his best runs this season with a top five at Bristol, and he had a history of a couple victories at Martinsville too as well. Some other stories coming into the race were a couple of injuries. Unfortunately, Steve Grissom had suffered a stress fracture in his foot after he was involved in that crash that was triggered by Jeff Bodine when he was getting revenge on Jimmy Spencer. By the way, Bodine was fined $10,000 for his involvement in that incident. Another driver that was injured and would not be at Martinsville this weekend was Greg Sachs. He unfortunately had suffered a serious crash at serious crash at the Greenville Pickens Speedway in South Carolina. He had broken his foot and required surgery, and he was going to sit out the race, and Lance Hooper was going to drive the number 20 car. A couple other stories coming into qualifying for the Goodies Headache Powder 500 was that Robbie Gordon and Joe Nemechek, after this race, were going to switch cars, crews, and crew chiefs, but not car numbers or sponsors. So the Sabco team had been off to a difficult start to the 1997 season. Both Robbie Gordon and Joe Nemechek were new to the team. Nemechek had previously run for his own team the past two seasons in NASCAR Wins the Cup Racing and was excited to have a chance to get a number 42 car. They had an exciting sponsor in Bell South Mobility, but it had been a very difficult start to the season for Nemechek. He'd actually missed the Daytona 500, but then was able to drive Phil Barkdell's car. And Robbie Gordon with the lone exception of a pole-winning pole winning performance at Atlanta and a 13th-place finish, the team had struggled mightily without any top-10 finishes. 
The two drivers, as we talked about, would switch crew chiefs to as well. So Robbie Gordon, after the Martinsville race, would have Mike Hillman calling the shots, and Joe Nemechek would then have Tony Glover calling the shots. So qualifying would take place on Friday afternoon on a very cold and windy day. And for much of the qualifying session, it looked like Joe Nemechek was going to win the poll, which was going to be a great story after all the difficulty that Joe Nemechek had experienced both professionally and personally in the 1997 season. Of course, he had tragically lost his brother a few weeks ago due to injuries suffered at Homestead in a truck race. And it had been a difficult adjustment to the Sabco team. Nemechek was really hoping that his fortunes would change after leaving his own team, but the team was off to a slow start. Late in the qualifying session, we would get a first-time pole winner, but it would be Kenny Wallace. He was able to run fast enough to get the pole in the number 81 square D for Thunderbird for Philip Bert Martosti. As we talked about, Nemechek was the outside pole sitter. Jeff Bodine had the third fastest lap. Jeff Gordon qualified fourth. Ricky Rudd was fifth crookest. Hot Strickland continued a set of strong qualifying runs, qualifying sixth. Terry Labonte was the seventh fastest driver. Bobby Hamilton was eighth, and he had been running very well at Martinsville of late, including a strong second-place finish to Jeff Gordon in the fall race at Martinsville. Bill Elliott was the ninth fastest qualifier. Cal Petty in the number 44 Hot Wheels Pontiac qualified 10th. Jimmy Spencer had the 11th fastest lap. The 12th. The 12th fastest qualifier was Ted Musgrave, who nearly won the 1995 rain-shortened race at Martinsville. The 13th fastest qualifier was Robert Presley in the number 29 car. Bobby Labonte, who was having a good early season start in the number 18 Pontiac for Joe Gibbs Racing, qualified 14th. And Rusty Wallace, who had won four straight Springer races at Martinsville, was the 15th qualifier. Other notables included Darrell Waltrip, who qualified 17th. Jeff Burden, who won his first Winston Cup race at Texas a few weeks back, qualified 19th. The points leader, Dale Jarrett, qualified 23rd, and this was a big deal because this would mean that Jarrett would have to pit on the backstretch. Dale Earnhardt, who had been fifth fastest in practice, could only muster the 25th fastest lap in qualifying as his car slipped, getting in turn one on his first lap. Ernie Irvin was 30th fastest. Ricky Craven, who was back after sitting out both the Texas race and Bristol due to injuries, qualified 35th. Sterling Marlin was 38th fastest, and, and Mark Martin was forced to take a provisional and start 39th. Now, the big deal on those guys who had qualified 21st or poorer meant that those drivers were all going to be forced to pit on the backstretch. And remember, in 1997, in NASCAR Winston Cup racing, there were four tracks that had backstretch pits. The short tracks of Bristol and Martinsville, along with the intermediate tracks of Rockingham and Darlington. Now, why was pitting on the backstretch such a big deal? Well, it was the biggest deal under caution because it was a massive disadvantage. When the caution came out, no matter who the leader of the race was, the front stretch pits would open first. So all the drivers would make their pit stops on the front stretch. They, of course, would still have to obey pit road speed, make their pit stops, and come off a of pit road. But while they were making their pit stops, the pace car was still dropping the other drivers off in the backstretch pits. And all they had, although they had attempted to have the pace car speed up a little bit to try to help the cars on the backstretch, invariably what would happen is the leaders would complete their pit stops on the front stretch. And as soon as they left pit road, they were able to speed around the racetrack to catch back up to the pace car. This meant that even with an unbelievable pit stop, if you were pitting on the backstretch, it was almost impossible to beat the cars pitting on the front stretch, especially the cars that were in the top five or six. So 
what it basically meant was if there was a late race caution and most of the leaders pitted, you were going to have a very difficult time winning from the backstretch unless there was a minimal number of cars in the lead lap. When we take a look at the did not qualifies for the race, Randy McDonald had attempted to make the race the number 79 car, but failed to qualify. Lance Hooper, who was trying to get the car in the field for an injured Greg Sachs, the number 20 car, was unable to qualify. It was another, another missed race for David Green, the number 96 cat Chevy for Buzz McCall. Gary Bradbury, who had actually done an excellent job in getting the 19 qualified for many races, failed to qualify. And Billy Standridge, who had really struggled in the 1997 season, getting the number 78 car into the field, also missed the race as well. One other interesting to statistic to look at was is that Ford had dominated the laps led thus far in the NASCAR wins the cup season. In the first seven races, they had led nearly 66% of the laps, and the lion's share of those laps were led by Dale Jarrett, who had led the most laps in many races to start the season. Front row starters Kenny Wallace and Joe Nemechek would lead the field to the green flag in the 1997 Goodies Headache Powder 500 from Martinsville, Re Virginia, in the Blue Ridge Mountain region of Western Virginia. Joni Michik actually got a really good start on the outside and was able to go into turn one side by side with Kenny Wallace. Surprisingly, he got a strong run off the corner and was able to clear Kenny Wallace and was the leader down the backstretch. Jeff Gordon was also able to get the outside of Kenny Wallace and pass him in turn four. Joni Michik had led his first lap of the season and would start to pull slightly away. On the second lap, Mike Skinner would have a problem. He would be slow on the backstretch, and the TV crew wondered if he was having an issue with his carburetor. Brett Bodine and Sterling Marlin had to come to almost a complete stop on the backstretch to avoid other cars that were checking up. The first caution of the race came out on lap 5 when Steve Grissom spun around in turn 2. NASCAR waited a long time to throw the caution flag, but Grissom didn't have enough room to be able to point his car in the correct direction, and he was unfortunately lapped. The race would quickly restart, but... The second caution will come out a few laps later on lap 11 when Chad Little, who was on the restart, was trying to anticipate the start and he unfortunately slammed in the back of the number 44 car driven by Cal Petty. He had significant damage to the nose of the car and began losing oil as he had damaged the oil cooler. Unfortunately for Jeff Bodine, who had started in the third position, he spun in turn four in the number 97 car's oil. The seven car suffered damage to the right front nose piece. It was a tough day for Chad Little, who admitted a mistake that he had made a mistake in an interview in the, behind the wall, and Little would be able to get back in the race, but there was very little attrition. He was credited with a 42nd place finish. Meanwhile, they determined that the issue for the number 31 car was a fuel filter issue, and they had fixed it when he was in the pits while the yellow flag was out for the wreck involving Chad Little and later Jeff Bodine. Bodine would also be penalized by NASCAR. Now, initially, it was reported on the TV broadcast that Bodine was penalized for speeding on pit road, but he was actually penalized for what they call pulling up the pit. So, in other words, you had to wait for your turn to enter pit road. You couldn't drive around cars and then pull up to pit. And NASCAR was definitely enforcing this rule a lot more this season. His crew chief tried to argue, but to no avail. The race would restart on lap 20, but just three laps later, the third caution of the race would come out as Bill Elliott had spun around and hit the backstretch wall. Steve Grissom, meanwhile, was able to get his lap back as he raced Joe Nemechek and Jeff Gordon back to the start-finish line. The cars actually got three wide off a of turn four. Grissom was able to get back to the start-finish line and make up his lap, and Jeff Gordon was able to take the lead. It was bad news for Bill Elliott. 
he was racing off the backstretch when he had made contact with Ted Musgrave and both wheels had hit. Unfortunately, this locked up the wheel of Bill Elliott and he spun around and backed hard into the backstretch wall. He would get lapped on the racetrack, but he would have bigger problems because he had a broken tire rod. It would require repairs behind the wall and Elliott would ultimately finish in the 37th position. Mark Martin pitted multiple times during this caution flag because his windshield was extremely dirty and he was toward the back of the field anyways. Rick Bass had gotten significant damage to the front of his car and he was sitting on pit road under caution and it was reported that the radio had been broken. Mass would finish in 36th place. The race would restart on lap 30 and we would get a nice long green flag run of 70 laps. We'd already mentioned about Jeff Bonine being penalized, and his crew continued to argue that. Joe Nemechek was beginning to fade a bit through the field and falling back. 50 laps into the race, the leader of the race was Jeff Gordon. Kenny Wallace was running second. Hutch Strickland was at third. Bobby Hamilton was fourth. Ricky Rudd was fifth. Cal Petty was sixth. Terry Labonte ran seventh. Jeff Burton was eighth. Rusty Wallace was in ninth after starting 15th, and Jimmy Spencer was in 10th. You'll notice that Joe Nemechek had fallen completely out of the top 10 after leading the first 21 laps of the race. They had mentioned on the TV broadcast that Rusty Wallace had gained five spots in 12 laps since the restart. Dale Arnott was doing a good job moving up. After starting 25th, he had worked his way up to the 16th position. When ESPN came back from a commercial, we were it was reported that Jeff Gorn was beginning to lap slower cars. Rusty Wallace continued his charge up through the field to 7th, and a few laps later, he actually passed Cal Petty for 6th. Dale Earnhardt, meanwhile, continued to move up, and on the 64th lap of the race, he had moved into the 13th position. Terry Labonte was able to pass Cal Petty and move up to 7th just a few laps later. 75 laps into the race, the running order was as followed. Gordon led, Kenny Wallace was second, Hutch Strickland was third, Bobby Hamilton was fourth, Ricky Rudd was fifth, Rusty Wallace was in sixth, Terry Labonte was seventh, Cal Petty was eighth, Jeff Burton was in ninth, and it was a good day for Jimmy Spencer in 10th position. On lap 78, Dale Earnhardt was able to pass DW and move up in the 12th. Rusty Wallace cracked the top five a few laps later when he passed Ricky Rudd. Bobby Hamilton was able to get around Huck Strickland and move up to third. And then Rusty was able to pass Hutch Strickland too as well. On lap 85, they came back from commercial and we had found out that Bobby Hamilton had been able to get around Kenny Wallace and move up into the second position. On lap 101, the fourth caution of the race came out due to debris and Dick Trickle and Sterling Marlin were able to beat Jeff Gordon back to the start finish line to get their laps back. There would be yellow flag pit stops, and there would be a lot of action during these pit stops. So first of all, on the front stretch pits, Rusty Wallace got boxed in, and it cost him a few positions. On the back stretch pits, Dale Earnhardt was trying to pull off a pit road when he made contact with the number 37 car of Jeremy Mayfield, and he had his fender rubbing. He rode around a few laps under caution, and the crew decided they couldn't take the chance and had to bring Earnhardt back to pit road, which would mean he would be all the way at the back of the cars in the lead lap. The top five after pit stops were Jeff Gordon, Bobby Hamilton, Kenny Wallace, Ricky Rudd, and Terry Labonte. Dale, as we said earlier, Dale Earnhardt had to, re, had to pit again due to that tire rub on the right front. The race would restart on lap 111, and we would get an 85-lap green flag run. Dick Trickle, as we talked about earlier, 
had was able to get himself back on the lead lap. And meanwhile, Kenny Wallace was challenging Jeff Gordon for the lead, but Gordon's car was so strong that he was able to actually take the outside line and hold Kenny Wallace off. A few laps later, Rusty was able to get around Hutch Strickland and move it into sixth position. Then Rusty passed Terry Labonte for fifth, and he quickly got around Ricky Rudd for fourth. It looked like Wallace was going straight to the front of the field. Hutch Strickland was able to get around Terry Labonte and move it into sixth position. We found out from the TV broadcast that Ricky Craven had taken right side tires and was now running in the 10th position. This, of course, was Ricky Craven's first race since that hard practice crash at Texas, which resulted in missing the Texas race and the Bristol race as well. Terry Labonte was able to pass Hutch Strickland back a few laps later and get himself into the 6th position. Other notables were Dale Jarrett running 14th, Mark Martin in 16th position, and Dale Earnhardt had made little progress after having to make that second pit stop under caution, and he ran 25th. On lap 129, Jeff Gordon was able to relap Dick Trickle, and Rusty Wallace was being getting the close in on Bobby Hamilton and Kenny Wallace. The TV broadcast reported that Jeff Gordon had nearly a three-second lead on Kenny Wallace on lap 137. Gordon began to catch the back of the field about 10 or so laps later. One interesting thing that was noted during the broadcast, they were talking about Lake Speed, who was driving the number nine car, and he had special decals on his car for a movie that was called Steel Chariots. This was a made-for-TV NASCAR movie that was going to be on Fox in the fall, and they were using some race footage from different races and also using Lake Speed's number nine car for some of the footage for the movie. At lap 150, Jeff Gordon was the leader, Kenny Wallace was in second, Bobby Hamilton was third, Rusty Wallace was fourth, Ricky Rudd was fifth, Terry Labonte was in sixth, Hutch Strickland was seventh, Jeff Burton was in eighth, Jimmy Spencer was ninth, and Ricky Craven was in the tenth position. Ward Burton got lapped a few laps later, and that left 25 cars in the lead lap. Mark Martin was able to pass Jeremy Mayfield and move up into the 15th position. Joe Nemechek's struggles continued. They had reported on the TV broadcast that he was extremely loose, and he was lapped by Jeff Gordon. Cal Petty was running 11th, and Darrell Waltrip was running 12th. Earnhardt had gained a few spots since the restart, but was still back in the 20th position. There really wasn't a lot of points, I'm sorry, position swapping among the top 10 cars. Mark Martin continued to steadily move up through the field, and he was now in the 14th position, and Dale Jarrett was running 15th on lap 165. There were 19 cars on the lead lap when Jeff Gordon put Ted Musgrave a lap down. Gordon was trying to lap the number 29 car of Robert Presley when the two cars made slight contact. Mark Martin continued his charge up through the field, and he was in the ninth position by lap 191. The next caution of the race came out on lap 197. It was the fifth caution of the race, and it was an incident involving Jeff Bodine and Mike Wallace in turn four, which resulted in pretty significant right-side damage to the number seven car driven by Jeff Bodine. Mike Wallace had hit the spinning number seven car after Jeff Bodine had spun. There would be pit stops under the yellow flag, and the cars came out of the pits as followed. Jeff Gordon was the leader. Kenny Wallace was running second. Rusty Wallace was in third. Terry Labonte was fourth. Bobby Hamilton was fifth. Ricky Rudd ran sixth. Jeff Burton was seventh. Hutch Strickland was eighth. Jimmy Spencer was ninth. And Darrell Waltrip was in the 10th position. The race would restart on lap 206. And Rusty, 
the Wallace brothers were battling it out for second position. Darrell Waltrip was able to get around Jimmy Spencer and get it moved to the eighth position on lap 215. Jeff Bodine continued to struggle, and he was now three laps down due to all the spins he'd experienced on the racetrack. Mark Martin had now moved up to the ninth position. We would have the sixth clash of the race come out on lap 224 due to a wreck between Joe Nemechek and Derek Cope off of turn four. The race would restart on lap 229, and we would get a 100-lap green flag run, which would match the longest green flag run of the race. There were 22 cars in the lead lap, and Jeff Gordon continued to lead with Kenny Wallace second, Rusty Wallace third, Terry Labonte fourth, Ricky Rudd fifth, Hutch Strickland in sixth, Daryl Waltrip in seventh, and Jimmy Spencer eighth. During that caution period, the only driver that pitted who was on the lead lap was Ted Musgrave. After the race restarted, Dale Jarrett, Ricky Craven, and Dale Earnhardt all found themselves in heavy traffic, running in 15th or worse position. Mark Martin continued to move up, and he was up to the ninth position. This was the theme of the day for Mark Martin. He would get a strong run, get up around the top five, the caution would come out, he would have be at a disadvantage pitting on the backstretch, and would typically lose three or five positions. This wasn't due to poor work by his crew, but just a disadvantage that's built in due to pitting on the backstretch. On lap 241, Rusty was able to get around his brother Kenny Wallace and move into the second position. ESPN went to commercial, and when they came back, it was reported now that Terry Labonte had gotten around Kenny Wallace and moved up to third. Cal Petty's car began smoking, and he was lapped, and he would ultimately have to go behind the wall. ESPN flashed up an interesting statistic looking at the last 25 short track races and showed that Rusty Wallace had eight wins, Jeff Gordon had six, Terry Labonte had five, and Dale Earnhardt had three, meaning they had won 22 of the past 25 short track races. It was reported by Bill Weber that Cal Petty had lost the rear gear on his car, and that's why he was behind the wall. Meanwhile, Mike Wallace's brakes were on fire, specifically the right front, and he would end up being credited with a 29th place finish. Jeff Gordon had led 252 of the first 273 laps, and the only other leader of the race was Joe Nemechek, who had led the first 21 laps of the race. Gordon began to close in on Dale Jarrett, and he was actually able to lap Dale Jarrett, who was running in the 18th position. Mark Martin continued his steady climb up through the field, and he was up to 7th place on lap 287. Bobby Hamilton was running in the 4th position, and Kenny Wallace was running 5th. Jeff Gordon was also able to lap the number 80, 98 car of John Andretti. Ricky Craven and Dale Earnhardt were running in 14th and 15th position. Jeff Gordon was showing remarkable dominance at Martinsville after Joe Nemechek had left led the first 21 laps of the race, Gordon was on his way to leading 300 consecutive laps, and he and Nemechek were the only two leaders of the race. The only thing that could slow Jeff Gordon down was lap traffic, and he was getting ready to come up on two of the tougher drivers to lap in NASCAR Winston Cup racing. That would be Dale Earnhardt and Jimmy Spencer. Gordon looked like he was going to have the opportunity to get around Dale Earnhardt and actually got to the inside, but unfortunately, Jimmy Spencer was on the bottom of the racetrack, and Gordon couldn't proceed forward. At this point, Dale Earnhardt decided to drive on the outside of Jimmy Spencer. So Gordon decided that his best bet now was going to be to go to the outside of Spencer because Spencer was clearly going to block the bottom of the racetrack. Gordon got to the outside of Spencer off of turn two, and the cars raced down into turns three and four. Now, it's hard to say as the cars were in turns three and four if Jimmy Spencer simply got loose and drove too hard into the corner 
or if he was looking for a little payback from Jeff Gordon for that Texas incident in which Gordon had wrecked Jimmy Spencer when he was trying to lap him. Either way, Spencer's car appeared to get loose, and his right front hit Jeff Gordon's left rear coming off of turn four. Gordon's car spun around, but Gordon was fortunate. He nailed the gas and kept his car off the wall, although he would sustain a little bit of slight damage during this incident. It was good news for Bobby Hamilton, and he had taken the lead, although he had suffered some right rear damage in the incident too as well, trying to get around Jeff Gordon. It was great news for Dale Earnhardt and Kenny Schrader. They both were able to either get a lap back or stay on the lead lap. And Jeff Gordon's streak of leading 306 consecutive laps in the Goodies Headache Powder 500 was stopped. Meanwhile, the fan reaction was something to watch, and as we watched replays on ESPN, the announcers talked about how crazy the fans seemed to be going in that front stretch section of fans. Many of them, they commented, were probably Wallace or Earnhardt fans. Of course, we know that Gordon had a lot of people rooting against him in that day and age, too, as well. One particularly crazy thing was there was actually one fan that jumped up and was climbing the catch fencing in celebration. Just shows how lax security was back in the late 90s compared to today. Well, anyways, Jeff Gordon was very fortunate. He had only lost two spots in the spin. Bobby Hamilton was now the leader. Rusty Wallace was running second, and Gordon was in third. The cars pitted under the yellow, and they came out of the pits as followed. Bobby Hamilton was the leader. Jeff Gordon was in second. Rusty Wallace was in third. Terry Lubani was running fourth. Kenny Wallace was continued to have a great run in fifth. The sixth-place runner was Ricky Rudd. Mark Martin was seventh. Jeff Burton was in eighth. It's a great run for Hutch Strickland. He had been among the top 10 all day. He was running ninth, and Darrell Waltrip was in 10th. The top 15 included Mayfield, Labonte, Craven, Trader, and Earnhardt, and those were the only 15 cars in the lead lap. Meanwhile, points leader Dale Jarrett ran an 18th position one lap down. The race would restart on lap 342, and three laps later, Ricky Rudd was able to get around Kenny Wallace for the fifth position. We would have our next caution in a few laps later on lap 347 when Dick Trickle and the number 36 car of Derek Cope got together. There was heavy smoke from the number 36 car, and it appeared that he had broken the oil cooler. It would be a tough day for Cope. He would ultimately finish in 34th position, 14 laps down. Dick Trickle didn't fare much better. He'd be credited with a 30th place finish, five laps down. Now, because there had only been a few laps run since the last caution and the drivers had pitted, Ricky Craven and Kenny Schrader were the only two leaders who chose the pit. The race would restart on lap 360, and Ricky Craven, who was running on the lead lap, would run into immediate trouble when he would slam into the back of Jeremy Mayfield and have damage to the hood pins on his car. Unfortunately for Craven, a few laps later, the hood actually flew up on his car and was blocking his view in the windshield. Craven was able to limp around to the backstretch pits, and the crew was able to pull the windshield back down and re-secure the hood pins. But the incident had cost Craven a couple of laps and was going to not allow him to have a good finish in his debut back after missing the Texas and Bristol race due to those injuries suffered in that practice crash at Texas. Also on the track, the TV commentators pointed out that Robbie Gordon in the number 40 car was very slow, and replays showed that he hit the wall hard, and he would be finished 39th. Jimmy Spencer was able to get the jump on Bobby Hamilton on the restart on the inside and get back on the lead lap. Jeff Gordon began to close in on Bobby Hamilton, and it looked like he was going to have a great chance to pass Hamilton in turns one and two, but he had to back off. 
When he backed off, Rusty actually bumped Jeff from behind, and all three cars had to gather things back up. Mark Martin continued to move up through the field, and by lap 369, he was in the fifth position. Gordon continued to hound Hamilton for the lead, and Bobby Hamilton slipped up the track in turn two, and Gordon was able to eventually get a nose under Hamilton going into turn three. It was a good side-by-side -side battle, and Hamilton was able to at least lead that initial lap that Jeff battled him, but he was no match for Gordon, and Gordon was able to eventually get around Bobby Hamilton, and Rusty Wallace moved through two as well to go to second, and Hamilton was dropped back to the third position. Jeff had passed Bobby Hamilton on lap 376 after Hamilton had led 48 consecutive laps. Terry Labonte continued to move back toward the front of the field. He passed Mark Martin and got into the fifth position. Jeff Gordon was slowly but surely pulling away from Rusty Wallace when another car ran into trouble on the track. The number 98 car of John Andretti had a flat right front tire and was limping around the track. He wouldn't be able to get back to pit road, but would eventually would finish the race four laps down in 28th position. On lap 393, Terry Labonte was able to pass Kenny Wallace and move into the fourth position. Mark Martin tried to follow Terry Labonte through, but wasn't quite able to get around Kenny Wallace. The ninth caution of the race would come out on lap 396 when Bobby Hillen had spun in turn two. This was good news for Jimmy Spencer as he was able to win the race back to the caution flag and get his lap back. Before the cars would make yellow flag pit stops, the running order was as followed. Gordon was the leader. Rusty Wallace was in second. Bobby Hamilton was running third. Terry Labonte was fourth. Kenny Wallace was in fifth. And Mark Martin was in sixth. All the leaders pitted on both the front and back stretch, and it appeared momentarily that Mark Martin had beaten everyone out of the pits because he had taken two tires. But when NASCAR reviewed the video at the end of the back stretch, they had determined that Jeff Gordon was actually in front of Mark Martin. So when the race would restart, it would be Jeff Gordon in the lead, Mark Martin in second, who had moved all the way up from his sixth position when pit stops had started, thanks to that two tire stop, despite being on the back stretch. Bobby Hamilton was third. Kenny Wallace was in fourth, Terry Labonte was fifth, Rusty Wallace was sixth, Bobby Labonte was seventh, Jeff Burton was in eighth, Jeremy Mayfield was running ninth, and it was a good day for Ken Schrader in the tenth position. There were 15 cars on the lead lap, and the race would restart on lap 405, with Dale Earnhardt running in the 11th position and Daryl Waltrip running 13th. The restart would be short-lived, as the number 36 car of Derek Cope was involved in yet another incident. This time he spun off of turn two and the back of his car slammed into the water barrel that separated the backstretch pits from the racing surface. A little bit of water had flown up, but it had dried relatively quickly. And it appeared that Cope had had contact from a fellow Pontiac driver in Johnny Benson. None of the leaders decided the pit and the race restarted on lap 424. We would get 52 consecutive green flag laps. And the top five at the restart was Jeff Gordon, Mark Martin, Bobby Hamilton, Kenny Wallace, and Terry Labonte. With 60 laps to go, there had been no changes within the top 10, and Dale Earnhardt and Daryl Walchip were running 11th and 12th, respectively. Both Terry and Rusty Wallace began to close in on Kenny Wallace, and on lap 445, Terry was able to pass Kenny Wallace and move into the fourth position. Daryl Walchip was able to get around Dale Earnhardt and move up to 11th. Morgan Shepard ran into problems. He was having a mediocre day running in 22nd position two laps down when the TV crew, crew reported that he was very slow around the racetrack and that his brakes were essentially gone. Shepard would be credited with a 35th place finish. Bobby Hamilton was able to get around Mark Martin and move into second place on lap 451. 
Rusty Wallace was able to pass Brother Kenny and move up to fifth. With about 45 laps to go in the race, the TV crew pointed out that Gordon was leaving Hamilton by about 1.92 seconds. Hamilton was able to close in a little bit on the 24 while the cars were in traffic. With 40 laps to go, Gordon continued to lead. Bobby Hamilton was in second. Mark Martin made that two-tire stop was running third. Tara Labonte was in fourth. And Rusty Wallace was running fifth. Hamilton's charge began to cool off a bit, and Gordon was able to put a bunch of lap cars between he and Hamilton. A handful of cars, maybe about seven or eight cars. Meanwhile, Kenny Schrader was able to grab ninth place from Jeff Burton. Rusty Wallace was past Terry Labonte on the back stretch as a caution came out due to Robert Presley spinning in turn two. This would be the 11th and final caution of the race on lap 476. None of the leaders decided to pit, but some cars near the back end of the lead lap did pit, like Daryl Waltrip, Ricky Rudd, Hutch Strickland, and Jimmy Spencer. Dale Earnhardt also pitted on the backstretch as well. The race would restart with 18 laps to go, and to reset the field, we had Jeff Gordon leading, we had Bobby Hamilton running second, Mark Martin running third, Terry Lubani running fourth, I'm sorry, Rusty Wallace running fourth, Terry Lubani running fifth, Kenny Wallace in sixth, Jeremy Bayfield in seventh, Bobby Labonte eighth, Jimmy Spencer ninth, and Kenny Schrader in tenth. Both the 24 car of Gordon and the 43 of Hamilton were able to clear all the lap cars in turn one and turn two. Points leader Dale Jarrett was running 16th one lap down, and that would be the best that he would finish unless one of the lead lap cars would have trouble, as there were 15 cars in the lead lap. DW was able to pass Jeff Burnham moving in the 11th position. With 10 laps to go, Mayfield was closing in on the number 81 car. Darrell Waltrip made slight contact with Jimmy Spencer in turn three and was able to move into the 10th position with five laps to go. Gordon continued to hold a comfortable lead over Bobby Hamilton. Terry Labonte was able to pass Rusty for fourth position with just three and a half laps to go. Labonte seemed a bit annoyed that, Wall that Rusty had passed him coming to a previous caution flag when Terry had backed off. Darrell Waltrip continued his late race charge to the front. He passed Kenny Schrader and was able to move into the second position, I'm sorry, the ninth position with two laps to go. Jeff Bodine spun with one lap to go, but the leaders had already taken the white flag. Gordon was able to win the race back to the start-finish line by about four car lengths as he ran into some traffic in turns three and turns four, but was able to go around to the outside of Dave Marcus, and Hamilton was never able to really seriously threaten Gordon for the win. So Jeff Gordon had picked up his 23rd career victory, his fourth win of 1997 in eight races. It was also the second time this season that he won back-to-back -back races. He'd won the season-opening Daytona 500 in at Rockingham, and he had led 431 laps, absolutely dominating the race, and had stretches of the race where he had led 125 and 306 consecutive laps. It was a great day for Bobby Hamilton, who had his best finish of the 1997 season, and it equaled his best finish at Martinsville, which was the second in the fall race in 1996. Mark Martin had a great day, and he had come home third for his best finish of 97, and the tide seemed to be turning a bit for Martin. After some tough races early in the season, Martin now had back-to-back -to -back top fives at Bristol and Martinsville. Terry Labonte came home fourth, and Rusty Wallace finished fifth. So it was a good solid top five for Rusty, but he had to be a bit disappointed as he had won the last four events in the spring race at Martinsville, and he didn't lead a lap in this race and never really was a serious contender for the lead. Brother Kenny Wallace had had an absolutely remarkable weekend. He had won his first career pole and ran very competitive throughout the race and had come home with a sixth place finish. 
he nearly had equaled his best ever career finish, which was a fourth at Martinsville. It was a good day for Jeremy Mayfield, who came home seventh, and Bobby Labonte hung in there for an eighth place run. Daryl Waltrip had a great day coming home in ninth, and it was a good work for Kenny Schrader. He was 10th. Spencer ended up 11th. Dale Earnhardt was in 12th. Ricky Rudd finished 13th. Hutch Strickland finished 14th, and Jeff Burden finished 15th. Those last three cars on the lead lap of Rudd, Strickland, and Burden had to be a bit disappointed. They had run among the top 10 for much of the race, but late race pitch strategy didn't work out for them. They all thought it would be a smart move to come and get tires late in the race, but none of them were able to take advantage of the tires and move up through the field. Dale Jarrett, the points leader, finished one lap down in 16th position. Other notable finishers included Joe Nemechek, who ended up 19th as he was the outside pole slitter, and he led the first 21 laps of the race. Jeff Bodine finished 29th after he was involved in multiple incidents and spun multiple times on the racetrack. It was a very difficult day for Ernie Irvin, who finished in 31st position, and Irvin continued his precipitous drop in the point standings. In the last three races, he had dropped from 10th in points to outside the top 20 in points. It wasn't a good day for the rookies. Robbie Gordon had had a problem late in the race and finished 39th. David Green failed to qualify for the race. Mike Skinner had early problems in the race, but was fortunate and was able to get his car repaired, and he ended up being the best finishing rookie in 32nd position. The average speed of the race was just over 70 miles an hour, and we had 11 total cautions for 99 laps. But this was a much better race in terms of green flag runs compared to the Bristol race. We'd actually had three times during the race where we had green flag runs of 70 or more laps. And in this race, although we were under the caution for approximately one-fifth of the race, it just seemed to have a much better flow to the race than we had at Bristol. There were only three leaders in the race, and we had four total lead changes. And Jeff Gordon beat Bobby Hamilton to the checkered flag by 0.356 seconds. So as we take a look at the point standings at the conclusion of the 1997 Goody's Headache Powder 500 from Martinsville, Virginia, the eighth race of the NASCAR Winston Cup season, Dale Jarrett continued to hold the points lead, although his closest pursuers had made up ground as Jarrett had finished in 16th place one lap down. This was the first time that Dale Jarrett had missed the top five in a race since the season opening Daytona 500. He had had six straight top five finishes. Terry Labonte, who had had a good day and had gotten a top five at Martinsville, now trailed Jarrett by just 45 points. Jeff Gordon had knocked 70 points off of Dale Jarrett's points lead on him and was now 94 points behind Jarrett in third place. So at this point, it looked like that those three drivers were the most serious contenders for the NASCAR Winston Cup Championship, as Bobby Labonte was in fourth in points, 208 points back, and Mark Martin was fifth in points, 244 points back. If you analyze things, Jarrett had reason to be very happy about his start to the season. As we had stated earlier, he had six top five finishes, and he was running very well on a variety of racetracks. Jarrett had done excellent on the intermediate tracks with strong cars at Rockingham, where he led the most laps but finished second, and he'd also picked up victories at Atlanta and Darlington and had been second at Texas. Also, many considered short tracks to be the Achilles heel for Dale Jarrett, although in 1996, he generally had had pretty good runs at both Richmond and Bristol, but he'd seemed to usually struggle at Martinsville, and North Wilkesboro was now off the schedule. So there had to be a little bit of disappointment for the 88 team that they hadn't run better at Martinsville, but still, through eight races, Jarrett had been very consistent and was the points leader. For Terry Labonte, he was his consistent self, too, as well. He had only had one finish outside the top 10, which was a 13th place finish at Darlington in March at the Trans South Financial 400. 
Jeff Gordon was third in points, and he was 94 points back. And there was reason for optimism for Gordon. Jeff had had two terrible races, the blown engine in Atlanta, which had resulted in a 42nd place finish, and the crash at Texas, which resulted in a finish outside of the top 30. Despite those two major problems, Gordon found himself only 94 points behind Dale Jarrett, who really hadn't had a race where he had a major problem. He was involved in those two late race crashes at Daytona and finished outside the top 20. But for Gordon having two major problems early in the season, he had to feel pretty good about his positioning within 100 points of Jarrett, also having won four of the first eight races of the season. The win at Martinsville was by far Gordon's most dominant victory. His other victories at Daytona, Rockingham, and even Bristol were more about putting himself in position late in the race. But at Martinsville, Gordon had made a statement to the entire field of how dominant his car could be when they had the combination just right. Bobby Labonte was quietly having a very good season. He was sitting fourth in points, 208 points behind Dale Jarrett. Mark Martin had moved into the fifth position in points, 244 points back. And there had to be reason for optimism for Mark Martin, too, as well. He had kind of had some struggles early in the season where they didn't necessarily have mechanical problems, but they just didn't have the best run. At Rockingham, he started from the pole, but only could finish 13th. At Richmond and Darlington, he had tire problems or pitch strategy problems. At Texas, he maybe had the best car, but blew an engine. But Martin had had great runs at Bristol and Martinsville, both from the backstretch to get top five finishes. And Martin had to feel like things were kind of getting and going in the right direction for his team now. And now he just needed to break that long 42 race losing streak. Jeff Burton was holding steady sixth in points, 277 points back. And he had had a decent day at Martinsville. He had run near the top 10, but pitch strategy didn't work out for him very well late in the race. Ricky Rudd was seventh in points, 288 points back. Dale Earnhardt was eighth in points, just one point behind Rudd, but already 289 points behind Dale Jarrett. Earnhardt certainly had improved after struggling in the first three races of the NASCAR Winston Cup season. And he, it is true that he had been in the top 15 in the past five races, but his best finish was still sixth. And Earnhardt really had not led any laps in any of those races either. So it was getting kind of late for Dale Earnhardt to start making a run to put himself in contention for the NASCAR Winston Cup championship. He and Larry McReynolds were going in the right direction but it did start to appear that 1997 was going to be more of a rebuilding year and unlikely that Earnhardt would be a serious contender for the Winston Cup championship. Rusty Wallace was sitting ninth in points, 292 points back. When it was good for Rusty, it was really good for him. He had won at Richmond, been second at Bristol, been fifth at Martinsville, had a good day at Darlington and Rockingham, but he also had very poor finishes uh, at Daytona due to an engine problem, a wreck at Atlanta, and then also a very poor finish at Texas when he was involved in another wreck. Bobby Hamilton's strong run at Martinsville had moved him to 10th in points, 324 points behind Dale Jarrett. And Hamilton continued to show his very strong flat track performance. He had been second at the Martinsville race in the fall last season. He had picked up his first career victory at Phoenix. It was a flat track. You expected Bobby Hamilton to run well. And it had been a little bit of a tough start to the season for Bobby Hamilton. So he had to feel good about this second place run at Martinsville and hoping to get this Richard Petty team headed in the right direction. Other notables in the points included Bill Elliott, who was sitting 14th in points, and Daryl Waltrip was 19th in points. The NASCAR Winston Cup Series look forward to the next race on the schedule, the Winston 500 from Talladega Super Speedway. The cars would be able to qualify on Friday, complete happy hour on Saturday, And the Bush race would be run on Saturday, too, as well. Unfortunately, 
rain was in the forecast for Sunday, and they never had an opportunity to really even have an opening race ceremony or start the cars or anything. It poured all day, and very early in the afternoon, they announced the race would be postponed to Monday. So all the cars and drivers came back to run the race on Monday, but again, rain hampered any chance to run the race. The cars got out there in an attempt to be able to drive the track, but another downpour came out, and NASCAR postponed the race. With the next race being scheduled for Sears Point all the way across the country, and the the truck drivers having to haul cars all the way across the country, the decision was made by NASCAR to postpone the Winston 500 to the following weekend, which would be Mother's Day weekend. But NASCAR, knowing that races that have traditionally been run on Mother's Day had been a disaster, namely the Winston, which they attempted to run at Atlanta in the mid-80s instead of at Charlotte on Mother's Day, was very poorly attended. So NASCAR made the decision that they would run the Winston 500 on Mother's Day weekend, but on Saturday. So the NASCAR Winston Cup Series would head to Sears Point to run the race that would be on Sunday. Then they would turn around the following Saturday and run Talladega, which was supposed to be an off weekend before the Winston All-Star Race. So as a result, we've got to shuffle things around a little bit with the podcast. What we're going to do is, since the race that was supposed to be run The Winston 500 was not run in its scheduled week. We're going to do a look back at the first eight races of the NASCAR Winston Cup season as we had reached the one-fourth mark of the season. Then what we'll do the following week is take a look back at the Sabart Supermarkets 300 from Sonoma. And then the following week, we'll look at the Winston 500 from Talladega. So we talk about the races in the order that they occur. Thanks for joining me today for the Stock Car Racing Time Machine podcast. I'm your host, Tim Naiman, and we'll catch you next time.